This is a HeadGum Podcast. Shannon, CG, Lauren, and Mel form the Nerds of Prey. A group of ladies bonded by comics, gaming, film, television, and fandom culture. Hang out with them bi-weekly as they dig into the very things that make them loud and proud nerds. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Also, check out their Patreon at patreon.com backslash nerds of prey. Hey, I'm Effie Brown, and I'm a producer of Dear White People, Real Women Have Curves, and recently you probably saw me on HBO's Project Greenlight. And you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Melody Cooper, director of The Sound of Darkness, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I am Felicia Butterfield-Jones, and I serve as the head of Black Community Engagement for Google. And you're listening to the Black Girls Nerds Podcast. This is Mildred Lewis, creator of Agents of the Realm, and you are listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. We are the Lucas Pros, and we were just on Black Girl Nerds Podcast, and it's fantastic. And listen to it every every day, every hour, because they are awesome. This is Simone Missick, and I am Misty Knight, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hello everyone, my name is Malik Forte. I am a professional nobody, but you might have seen my work on Nerdist.com or soon Bleacher Report, and you are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey y'all, this is LeVar Burton, Kunta, Jordy, Reading Rainbow Guy. You are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. It is the bomb diggity podcast on the interwebs, but you don't have to take my word. tuning in to episode 102 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Kim Whitley, The Few, and Intersectional Feminism. Three segments. In our first segment, we have a roundtable discussion about feminism and intersectionality, as well as its lack thereof. A lot of this conversation has stemmed from the Women's March that happened shortly after Trump's inauguration to the exchange over at Sundance between Salma Hayek and Jessica Williams, and also Valerie Complex, one of our contributors on BlackGirlNerds.com, wrote a very compelling article called The Do's and Don'ts of Intersectionality in Donald Trump's America, and we talk about various talking points in that article in this discussion. In segment two, we invite back Sam Benjamin of The Few. Karan sits down with him on a one-on-one and he talks about the latest edition 
on this web series that features superheroes. It just launched on February 2nd on YouTube and it gives you all of the details of what to check out. In our third segment, we invite Kim Whitley. You know her from so many TV shows and films. And she's currently in a film called Fist Fight, starring Ice Cube, Charlie Day, Tracy Morgan, and Jillian Bell. That's currently released in theaters nationwide. So that's our show. If you haven't done so already, make sure to go ahead and go to iTunes and give us a rating. Leave us a comment. Leave us a good one. Let us know what you think about the show. And don't forget, you can check us out on other podcast streaming apps, such as SoundCloud, Spreaker, Stitcher, and Google Music, as well as Spotify. That's our show. I hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you again next week. In our first segment, we have a roundtable discussion about intersectionality in feminism. This roundtable features myself, Mel, Karan, Jacqueline, and Tora. We talk about the Women's March, the Sundance situation between Salma Hayek and Jessica Williams, as well as what women can do better to support one another as feminists. Take a listen. Thank you so much for tuning into this special edition of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is a roundtable edition, I should say, of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast, and we're going to talk about intersectional feminism. It's a topic that's very pervasive on our site and our platform, and we talk about it daily on Twitter. And I have a roundtable of women that's going to have this conversation with me. So I am very pleased to present to you co-hosts Mel, Karan, Jacqueline, Tora. Thank you, ladies, for being on the show. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. <laughs> so um, I, I'm really excited to talk about this because there are so many things that have just happened just this past week. Uh, with intersectional feminism and even its lack thereof with the exchange that happened between Salma Hayek and Jessica Williams to the Women's March that happened. Um, And Valerie Complex, who couldn't be on our podcast this evening, but she recently wrote this very compelling article. You guys should check it out on blackgirlnerds.com. The name of the article is called The Do's and Don'ts of Intersectionality in Donald Trump's America. And she goes over a list of, you know, sort of an instructional manual, (laughs) if you will, to white people of what you should do um, and what you should not do when it comes to understanding what it is to be a feminist and what intersectionality means for people of color and uh, for marginalized voices. Uh, so let, let's start with the march, because a large part of this piece um, is stemmed from the women's march that took place right after Trump's graduation. Graduation. Uh, <laughs> Trump has got I mean, me just all like in shambles. So. <laughs> feel like graduation from kindergarten. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, after Trump's inauguration on January 20th, 20th the women's march happened. Um, so I want to talk to each of you about that. And um First of all, I want to get some of your thoughts on what did you think about the march as a whole? Uh, what what did you think about? What was your takeaways of the women that were there, some of the signage that was there, the press reactions to it, the celebrities that appeared? Uh, so why don't we go in order so that way everybody gets a chance to talk? 
We'll go in this order in Mel, Karan, Jacqueline, Tora, and then Deandra. All right, then. Uh, this is Mel. <laughs> um, I think I was mostly conflicted about the march. I'm glad it was happening and that it caught, you know, it caught fire in so many places. It was nice to see so many people out there and, you know, making their voices heard. But at the same time, there were some things that were questionable, some things that were insulting, some things that were problematic as hell. Um, one of the examples is I could not stand how many people emphasized that it was a peaceful protest. Oh, God. Yeah. I, it made me livid because it showed a level of privilege that they can't even contemplate. It's like most most protests, I know they're specifically referencing the Black Lives Matter protests. They're specific, mm -hmm. they're not saying it, but they are. And then like 99% of those were peaceful. They were just met with resistance. There is a difference. There is a difference where you went there unarmed, you're sitting down, you have a sign in your, your lap, and then the cops show up in riot gear with batons and tear gas ready to start something. There is a difference. And these women came out here and they put their little... Can I say pussy hat? They put their little hats on cops. They took pictures and it was so cute thinking, oh my God, you see, this is all everybody has to do. Not even realizing that it's a completely different situation for them. The cops weren't going to come there with riot gear. They weren't going to attack those women. And then they don't even realize the problem, the dichotomy of what was happening. And it just blew my mind. It was just one of the things that annoyed me so much. <sighs> That's all I'm going to say for now. I might say it annoyed later. me just to <laughs> add to that uh, Kristen Bell's comment, too, about Hello? the peaceful marches. And I'm just like, really, Kristen, did you have to say that? Like, that just diminished the whole value of doing this march is talking about the negative aspect of, oh, well, you know, it's good to see that it was peaceful. And it felt like it was like just one of those microaggressions that white yeah. people like to put on us. And it, it was, yeah, incredibly unnecessary you're feeding into the narrative that people of color we're violent mm. yeah. we are violent we're angry we're out there causing trouble when that's not that's not the case you just don't want to see the case you want to see the the stereotypes that's what you want to see and that's the problem it was a complete denial or uh of her priv of privilege as white women because what was being protected was their was white women um, and they don't understand that even though they may not be held, even though there's still sexism, white women are still protected yeah. over the rest of us. They don't get that. So they're not going to be policed the same way um, we are. So when they're, they're the ones that are coming out in these marches um, in droves, policing is not going to look the same way. That's why... Um, when we do have these marches and we do have white people who comes who come out to Black Lives Matter marches, you see them forming wall when they're, you know, actually about the resistance, you see them sometimes forming walls around the black people because they know they're less likely to be hit. They're less yeah. likely to be, you know, brutalized by police officers. Yeah. They understand their privilege. <laughs> Yeah. Um, this is Karan, and I had a conversation the night before the march. Um, a good friend of mine, um, an activist in her own right, asked me whether or not I was going. 
And I said, I'm not going at white people shit. And she, <laughs> she said, um, you know, but it's being organized by, you know, women of color and, you know, women from all over. And I said, okay, well, that's nice, but watch it end up being some white woman shit. Hmm. Um, because, I mean, they take everything. <laughs> they co-opt everything. Nothing is original. Yeah. Now, the day of the march, I will say that I was really floored when I not only saw how many people were participating, but I saw how many countries were participating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That blew my mind. I've never seen anything like that in my life. And also looking through the lens as an American, this is what we see happen in other countries. This isn't what happens in the U.S., you know? Mm-hmm. These kinds of protests, these kinds of, of large-scale protests against the government is what we see in other countries. This is what you see on the, on the evening news, on the world news tonight, you know? And, um, and it's happening here because one thing really c- confuses me, for lack of a better term, because um, I don't deal in confusion, but um, how all them white women show up for this march, but so many white women voted for Trump? I'm not really getting that. Uh-huh. that that's a disconnect that I'm having there. And that is to be reminded that like it's like bitch but you did this why are you here and then no i I saw different interviews i saw different women you know being interviewed by different news outlets because usually i have about six screens going at one time with different news outlets and um it was just really disturbing to me the um lack of responsibility the i heard a lot of words on stage from white women who were featured in the news. They, it, 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 you would have thought that this was headlined as a white woman's concert because the only people that got airtime was Madonna, Ashley Judd, and um, Madonna, Ashley Judd, and Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. That's all Who's, you saw. Yeah. Scarlett and Johansson. That bitch don't speak for yeah. me. She oh, I had problems with her speech. We so have I so many. Get we have so many issues with women, and and my 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 biggest issue is we are last in everything. We show up, we fight for everybody, but where the fuck were all these people for the last five years while we were getting shot and beat in the street? Yeah, where were all of these people for the last five years? When violence against black bodies is happening on camera every single day, where is the outrage and the protest when these women, when these black women are being raped by police officers getting pulled over on the side of the road? Mm. Where were you? So don't talk to me about feminism and pussy hats when you stayed your pussy home. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Now, if you're going to fight, let's fight. But understand this. Y'all learn this from us. You got this from us. And you need to give credit where credit is due. And I was offended that with all of the magnificent, brilliant black and brown voices that were at that march and had the mic, not one of them got featured on the news. Not one of them got pulled in for an interview. Not one of them got pulled up to be 
the spotlight or the highlight. Even the woman who organized the march, she wasn't even the voice of her own march because white women overtook it. So my issue with this march, I was really like what other people did in other countries and what people did in other cities. It was remarkable. The, The numbers were remarkable, but you cannot remove the issue that exists within those numbers. Where the fuck have y'all been for the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, when we've been getting our asses kicked? Where have you been? So now you're going to defend everybody else. And I think it was, it was a little while ago when, um, who made that tone deaf statement that said, um, we, f- we fought for you for the gays and the blacks. And now it's time for you to oh, fight Patricia with us. Arquette Patricia Arquette. Yeah, bitch. Um, excuse me. I'm, I'm having issues. Um, that's kind of what it feels like. It's almost like they want us to thank them for showing up. We've, sh- we've, we always show up. That's what we do. We carry the weight and we show up everywhere for everything. But where the hell were all of these women when black bodies were swaying in the breeze? I need to know. Jacqueline? I think they were watching Friends reruns. I don't know, personally. (laughs) (laughs) Girls. I mean, I had a different approach to the whole women's march because I was at Sundance for the women's march when it happened. And so there was a part of me that felt in this you know, cinephile, very white area that like, if I don't show up, they might not be that many black faces. So I did show up and I felt a part that I kind of had to show up for that. I did feel the uncomfortableness that I always feel when I have to put on the cloak of white feminism, because everything that you were saying, Quran is what exactly what I was saying, like, going into it. It's like, it is so funny how this is all of a sudden a focus for y'all when we have literal like video shots of people getting blown away and y'all don't care. Nothing's happened to y'all yet. As awful as Donald Trump is, he's not done anything as of yet to y'all. We have physical evidence of things done to black and brown bodies all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's like y'all like got that like Mariah gift where she's like, I don't see what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, uh, it's ridiculous. But I did notice in Sundance for whatever reason, and probably because it is Sundance and we can get into that, the black and brown voices were actually featured. Sundance does a daily recap video of the events and they made it a conscious effort to actually show like Dolores, the um, the immigration uh, civil rights leader. She had a documentary at Sundance and they made sure to prominently feature her and they prominently featured Rashida Jones and they prominently featured Jessica Williams in their recap video. And this is before all the drama happened. And I was actually really proud to see that. And that video goes before every film that's played at Sundance. Like, it's not just like, oh, hey, you know, you got to go to their website to check this out. So I did like that, but, you know, it's always uncomfortable for me to be in white feminism. It always has been. It just always, always has been because I've experienced as much racism and lack of inclusivity from white liberal feminists than I have from honestly any redneck in my entire life growing up in the South. And that's my own truth. I know that's not everybody's, but that's just what I've seen. You know what I mean? So... I don't know. I think my big takeaway from it as far as I knew I could not show up, but 
I didn't feel like I really accomplished anything. It was more I felt like I had to show up because I had to represent something in a place where I felt, I mean, in, in Dallas, Austin, wherever else you want to go, I felt that, you know, at least there's going to be someone there to maybe speak to our truth. I did not necessarily think that was going to happen in Park City, Utah. I was surprised to the contrary, but going into it, I was like, if I don't show up, who knows? You know what I mean? That, that's what I thought. Tora? Um, so I kind of felt the same way Karan did about it at first. Um, I was kind of just, I didn't have the space, especially after the election results. I didn't have the space, I think, to share that space with white women, knowing that, knowing the percentage of them that had elected Trump. So I didn't have it in me to share this march with them, knowing, you know, that we're going to be marching in solidarity, but also I'm going to be looking around like, which one of y'all was? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. They're all suspect. Was <laughs> like I I knew that that I knew that that under like I knew I would be able to smile for part of it, but. In my soul, I, I was going to have that underlying like suspicion and I just wasn't going to be able to put on the solidarity that is needed in those moments that and, and I, I couldn't and I knew that <sighs> the way that white women need you to perform solidarity a lot of times is taxing and I, I just I can't. So in credit in reading about it, from um from outlets and in seeing pictures of it and signs um a lot of the things that struck me most were um the lack of intersectionality within it um even to things like um the pussy hats so uh, with it not being trans inclusive so this is supposed to be a women's march but we're all wearing pussy hats and I get that it's supposed to be about, it's supposed to be tongue in cheek to the line about, you know, Donald Trump, grab him by the pussy. But I read, you know, several, several, you know, articles or just think pieces about trans, by trans women who, you know, this put them in a different space because this to them is a symbol of something that they reminds them of genitals because to them this is saying if you're a woman these are the genitals you're supposed to have because a pussy is what represents a woman so it's very genital sinhood and the these are the types of things that i think white <laughs> white feminism does like writing messages on tampons and slapping them everywhere and I'm just like, so there's definitely people who could use, or not tampons, pads, and slapping them everywhere. And I'm like, yeah. there's definitely people who could use those pads. Like, you just out here giving away, like, you wasting pads. Another thing with the <laughs> pussy hats, I was like, all of these pussy hats are pink. Like, everybody got pink pussies and not one brown pussy hat. Not, okay. Mine <laughs> 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 no. is sort of a brownish mauve. 
That's what I'm saying. But they're all like, I'm not <laughs> telling my pussy color on this podcast. I don't care how not much even, I love y'all. I'm an ombre pussy hat. I'm just saying. <laughs> I appreciate y'all giving me that truth though. All bright pink (laughs) pussy hats, and it's speaking to them, thinking, "Oh, these all these pink pussies for all these white lady, you know, all these white lady woman vaginas." And again, that's just a very exclusive way of thinking about this woman's march being for a specific type of woman, and. It's not very intersectional. And a lot of times when those things were brought up, um, white women responded by saying, you know, why are you being divisive? We should just support all <laughs> if they are too sensitive, girl. Mm-mm. I'm so done with them on that. I can't listen to you anymore about being divisive. We are different. It does not mean we cannot champion the same things, but we are different. Exactly. If you don't believe me, let's and both of us go shopping. there's nothing wrong with that. I don't understand the idea that celebrating differences, that there is an infringement upon your, you know, your livelihood as a woman, as a person that because I am a, a because I'm black, because I'm female and because I celebrate my difference that that somehow is a bad thing. But I don't that understand that. That in and of itself, is, like, that in of itself is the essence of privilege though, isn't it? In and of itself, when you are in a conversation with someone and you are celebrating your differences, you are mentioning the fact that you have something that's different than they did. Wait a minute. This conversation is about me. Bring it back to me because it's all about me. Right. That's what white privilege is all about. And that's when you're used what... to seeing images of yourself, then you don't think mm-hmm. that that's different. You think that that's the norm. That that's right. And because well. it's no longer about you, it's right. disruptive. I agree with you. I um, really don't have any more to add to this other than the fact that I just found that it was really lazy to ask Madonna to be a speaker for this event. <laughs> it's like, oh, let's find someone who is like a really large super popular feminist icon at one point in her history. Oh yeah, Madonna, like she embodied that at one point. Let's go for her. Um I just Madonna has not really spoken to me as a feminist and yes, she embodied a lot of sexual freedom back in the 80s and all of that and was progressive in those areas, but uh she's certainly not intersectional um and she hasn't spoken on any issues that affect uh people of color and women of color and we'll drop um, the mom on any moment that she gets a chance right so <laughs> yeah, she, i don't she lets her son say the word nigga didn't she well there she go there you go so i mean say the word nigga to her son i thought that's what it was <laughs> Well, the word nigga was involved, so that was her. <laughs> I think it was, I think it was both. Nigga, I think she nigga. did both. <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. But anyways, um, I just, overall, I just think that um, they could have done better with that. And also, Ashley Judd, I have to say, her speech just blew me away. I really appreciated her sentiments. Uh, you know, she she's really trying. She yeah, she she's really trying and I, I appreciate that she spoke about black women and, and, and all women of color and the fact that there's a lot of uh inequality with respect to pay and 
and all of those things. So um, I'm, I'm glad that she spoke out about that. But with just the celebrities, they just missed the mark. They could have gotten so many more women out there. Um, there. There were some transgender voices. I know Raquel Willis, who I follow on Twitter, um, was at the Women's March and spoke. But then they cut off her mic at some point, I believe. I saw her tweeting wow. about that. Um, I don't know if Laverne Cox was there or not. Janelle Monae was there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's all right. She was there. Um, But it was just a good speech. It's just like few and far between. It just could have been so much more. So um, yeah. Yeah. But I I did all of my hoorays on social media and I retweeted like the women that I really like. So, um, okay. I want to move on to our next topic because this was really controversial as well on Twitter. And this involved the exchange between Salma Hayek and Jessica Williams over at Sundance Film Festival. So, um, does anybody want to talk about, does anybody want to explain what happened? Oh, please, please, (laughs) please, please. Let me tell y'all, because I just, first of all, this was a day after I ran into her on the street, as I told you, Jamie, and I was just like, you're the most amazing person on the world. And apparently that night she got gaslit by... I don't know, whatever, it's whatever. Mm -hmm. So for those of you that didn't read, on the LA Times, there was a luncheon with prominent women in Hollywood. Uh, Shirley MacLaine, Alfred Woodard, Jessica Williams, Salma Hayek. Uh, Jill Soloway was also there, in fact. And in it, they discussed, you know, feminism and what they need to be doing, especially in Hollywood, talking about things like, you know, incoming income equality and getting better roles and fighting for roles that speak to a truth rather than a stereotype. And Jessica Williams in that made the point that, you know, we all feel, which is that she feels that she gets shouted down a lot of the times when she speaks out about the fact that it is different as an African-American female as opposed to just being a white female and it's more difficult as a trans female or an LGBTQ female. And in the exchange, I'm going to paraphrase as I pull this up real quick, but basically Selma Hayek stated that she felt that, you know what, she's been in Hollywood for 50 years. And that back when she started, it was that, you know, a a Hispanic or Mexican immigrant like she was, was not even going to get an opportunity to be in a movie, let alone open a movie. And now she's able to do those things. So we have things and opportunities now that we never had. And so you can't really be as divisive as you are. You have to celebrate the fact that, you know, we have more now than what we used to. And in it, you know, Jessica Williams basically said, you know, she's like, you don't really know what it's like for my truth. Like, I know that's your truth, but that's not the way it is for me. Um, And it it was really like a heated exchange. And what you can tell is that, you know, normally in these kinds of, you know, happy feely breakfast lunches, the women don't necessarily get down into the nitty gritty about the fact that, you know, they may have differences, you know, it's supposed to be kumbaya and whatever, but in a kind of unguarded moment, they all kind of told it like it is. And I, I, the, the thing I really hated the most about all of it, on top of the fact that Shirley MacLaine at 82 felt the need to chime in with her, I don't even know, opinion, <laughs> if you could call her it Her white that. opinion. Yeah. Um, 
but like she said to her, you know, if you're not a woman of color and you're not uh, a female, what are you? And Jessica Williams to her brilliance, which is like, I'm the finest black chick on the planet and I'm Jessica, period. And I was just like, oh, I love you, <laughs> you know, because that's the truth. It's not a choice. I know who I am, but these things are a part of who I am. And whenever you just say all sisters together and we're all women, you're trying to essentially erase a part of who I am. It is so dismissive. And then, you know, she, you know, in the continued exchange, she's like, why do you have to be so angry about it? And so here you have another woman yeah. calling a black woman an angry, angry. black woman, which, which is the is most a trope. Mm -hmm. The most dismissive phrase as a black woman, in my opinion, personally, that you can say is that because right. it is literally you cannot have an opinion at that point. You cannot have an emotion at that point. You cannot have a dissension. The only thing you are allowed to be and that trope doesn't fall is like, oh, everything's beautiful and sunshiny and great. If you were anything else, they could just say that to you and you're just taken down. Mm -hmm. And what did uh, I finally found out what Shirley MacLaine said? Find democracy inside. Bitch, please. <laughs> I don't even know. What the fuck does that, that mean? I don't know. I was don't she channeling know. one of her other lives? What the fuck was she talking about? Oh, and man. I think there was also a moment too where Salma Hayek told uh, Jessica Williams to look her in the eye because yeah. Jessica looked away. Yeah. And she's can like, look me, can, yeah, can I see your eyes in a very condescending kind of tone? And that in itself was just really disrespectful. And then to keep me, calling her baby, baby, and calling listen, her baby. baby. Right. What she, what she said was when you're not a woman and when you're not black, what's left? And I'm like, yeah, what, do you what does that even off? mean? Yeah. And how would I know? Because I've always been black and a woman. And the victimism. She said, I don't see myself as a victim. You're trying to label me as a victim. I'm trying to explain to you my truth. It's such, ugh, I just can't. The issue I have with Salma Hayek, well, the, the multiple issues I have with Salma Hayek, but we're just going to focus on this one right now, <laughs> is you came to America and built your business off of your back. You built it on your body. And now you want to talk about how equal we all are. Mm. When you came here, you built your career on your sexuality. On your back, boo. You made a couple of independent films on your own, married a billionaire and lost your damn mind. <laughs> because you forget how they used to talk about you. Because I remember mm -hmm. she's only 50. Mm -hmm. I remember how they used to talk about Salma Hayek only in her, in terms of her tits and ass, mm -hmm. how soon we forget. She has a very short memory, but again, this is a, a woman of multi-ethnicity who thinks she's white. She asked whether or not she qualifies as a woman of color. I'm like, bitch, you got all the colors of the rainbow <laughs> and you ask it. I think she was expecting a fight and that's why she asked that. I think she wanted a fight and, and I think she wanted to draw something out of Jessica. I'm glad she didn't take the bait, but I would have, I would have liked to have seen Jessica fight back. I think in that room, she was a bit intimidated and Kat Cora chimes in. Kat Cora is, Kat Cora is that girl in the corner in high school who always gets her ass kicked because she don't know when to talk. <laughs> She's the one that gets slapped. Uh, we can't all be friends. No, because you don't see me. No. And I had a conversation the other day about what erasure actually is. A good friend of mine and former colleague posted a poster that was like, it, it's, 
It's not the color of your skin. It's the color of your spirit. It's like, shut up. <laughs> shut up. I, she was, are you colorblind? And I wrote on her Instagram and her Facebook page. I certainly hope not because that's called erasure yeah. and that's a form of racism. But well, maybe not, yeah. she responded and said, well, maybe I'm naive. I said, no, you are far from naive, but let me tell you what you are doing. Because just because you don't call yourself a racist doesn't mean you didn't inherit racist behavior. And that in that is the definition of racism, racist behavior and racist speech. So I'm not really understanding what Salma Hayek, girl, you, you girl, you, you still have an accent, boo. I just don't understand. Okay, so I just don't understand what, where it is that Salma Hayek thinks that she's elevated to because I, she, I Girl, money makes that she has crazy. gotten to a place where she can separate herself from her uh, identity as a Mexican woman and a, as a Mexican and a woman. And when she's being hired, but when you were cast as a taco in sausage party do you think Ooh, that they saw you as someone mm. other than a mexican woman mm. do you think that when they gave you you, you were cast she was cast a as taco. a taco in a taco. sausage okay. party i wonder when they were giving her that role did they see her as someone other than that did they say she's fabulous we need to give it to her or did they give it to her because of that i i'm just wondering or because she said she would never want a role based on something like that. She would turn it down because it would be demeaning. But she did. I think she got a real short memory on her the, the thing that mm -hmm. I cannot get beyond with Salma Hayek is the condescension when she was addressing Jessica. It, Jessica didn't deserve that. That young woman has worked really her did. tail off to get to where she is. But she did not deserve that. Not in any way. That kind of condescension will get your ass kicked. <laughs> I mean, I would have to that, that table. playing a role as a spicy, angry maid on Thirty Rock. I think. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering uh -huh. if she had ascended beyond her role. You know, I, I just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, She's so spicy. You know, Maybe there's something we're missing, you know? Yeah, Gucci. I think she just didn't like being called out. It's the problem that a lot true. of... Yeah, I, she didn't I like agree. being called out. And I think um, what she said before about what are you when you're not black? What are you when you're not a woman? And my answer to that is I'm not myself because my personality is made by a, com a combination of all the experiences that I have been through. And those experiences are framed by my gender. They are framed by my race. There is a reason that this lunch was a woman's yeah. lunch is because women have a different perspective. They have different experiences in Hollywood than men. If a man had asked Selma, what are you when you're not a woman? She would have been pissed off, but she thinks it's okay to ask Jessica because she she thinks in her mind she's coming from a higher place. She's more privileged than Jessica, so she can't ask. She can't treat her like that. And Jessica, I think she handled herself very well because you got to remember she's 26 years old. 
She mm. is so much younger than everybody else in this room. Mm. All these people have way more experience than she does. But she's and then probably she's... the most recognized at that table too. I well. think, <laughs> and I think you nailed it, Mel. I think that, yeah. you know, Jessica put her in her place. She got very offended by she saying, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm Arab and Mexican. And, and then she had used the term baby when she had said mm-hmm. that phrase. Mm-hmm. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that Jessica's young. She's in her twenties. Jessica is very accomplished. I mean, Jessica Williams was going to be, she was gunning for the role of being on the daily show as the next host. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a lot of anti-blackness happening there mm-hmm. with Salma yeah. Hayek. So, yeah, I, I think that it, to be, to ignore that aspect of it, I think, you know, I, that's a big part of what had happened in this exchange. And it's unfortunate because Salma comes from a very privileged yep. background. You know, her, I believe her father Oil is a magnet. politician Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, so she has a very wealthy upbringing, and then she's married now to a billionaire. So she comes from a place of privilege, and um, she's not like a woman of color who's had to struggle. Uh, so it's a different experience for her. So she may not understand what Jessica means when she's talking about having a different experience as a woman of color. And that's probably why she got really super defensive about it, because she feels like, well, wow. How dare you tell me that, you know, this is my ethnicity and, you know, this, there's nothing wrong with what, you know, my lineage is just because, you know, you've dealt with your struggle. So it's unfortunate that this exchange got brought down to this level between um, Salma and Jessica. But, you know, it is what it is. Did y'all know who was at that luncheon, by the way? Have y'all investigated and seen who was there? Because I looked it up afterwards. Did y'all hear about that? Yeah, yeah. Dee Rees yeah. was there. Dee Rees, um, she directed the... Mudbound. And there was the, the other film that she directed. Oh, last time. Oh, God. Ugh, I can't remember it now, but I'll remember in a second. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, the name she escapes me. We, we had done a live tweet about it, too. Name me, but yeah, the she was there, one. like you said. From uh, Sunday, like you said, probably. Jill Holloway was there, transparent um, creator. Mm-hmm. Alfred um, Woodard was there. Yep, Alfred Woodard was there. Um, Dakota Fanning, uh, Jill Solway, you already said. Oh, so what's her name? Sanaa Latham was there as well. And Sanaa Latham there? Yeah, Sanaa Latham was there. Pariah, also- that's the film that, Pariah, Dee Reese, that yes. I know her for. Yeah. And Bessie, the mm-hmm. Queen Latifah one. Yeah. And it should be noted that Dee Rees is a queer woman of color. And she mm-hmm. spoke up at that mm-hmm. at yep, that yeah. luncheon as well. And, and Jill Sosa, I will admit, as much as we don't love her, she actually yeah. spoke up as well. She spoke up. You know, and yeah. Jessica mentioned, because there was an exchange between Roxane Gay and Jessica on Twitter. And Jessica mentioned that the only women in the room that did speak up were the queer women mm-hmm. in yeah. that room. Yeah. I noticed that um, within the article reading that, that they they were trying to give Salma some perspective on it, and she just was not trying to hear it. She just, nope, was, she wasn't trying to hear that perspective at all. What, what was most astonishing for me was after she asked Jessica who she was, she asked Jessica, who are you when you're not Black and you're not a woman? And Jessica very clearly lined out to her, like, I know who I am. I'm 
the, you know, some days I'm just a black woman, but you know, I'm the baddest, I'm the baddest bitch in the world, basically. And Mm -hmm. Salma Mm -hmm. Hayek came back with no, 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 you have to like, she came back and basically scolded her and told her she had to do some more digging with who she was. So she told a woman that she needed to find out who she was after she had just told her, I know Hmm. who I am. That's like when somebody tells you, I know you better than you know yourself. That's what she told her. You told her. Yeah. That's what you tell children. You tell children, you don't, you don't know what you're saying. I know Mm -hmm. what you're, I know more than you. She treated Jessica like a child. It's an abusive statement. That wasn't, and there was an incident that happened similar to this at Sundance. Apparently, Sundance has an issue with the lack of intersectionality and and feminism because Cheska Lee, Francesca Ramsey, dealt with the same issue with, uh, incidentally, Jill Holloway, and um, also some other white women in the room. Do you know what happened, Jacqueline, in that exchange? Yeah. So this is what I'll say. So. It was Jill Soloway, but the person who she actually got the most into it with was this other chick. And if you give me one second, I'll pull her up. But basically, this is what it was. Last year, uh, Sundance invited a lot of YouTube creators to their um, lab because YouTube was in the process of doing their big partnership, which actually ended up being now what we call YouTube Red. And basically, what they did is they had this show called The Skinny. And The Skinny is this um, web series that was created by Jessie K. Weiler. And that's her name. And that was the girl that she had the biggest exchange with. And The Skinny is a web series that she made that was produced by Jill Soloway. And they showed it at the YouTube event. And Cheska Lee went to her afterwards and was like, I have some issues with your narrative because one, it's very, I mean, just to make a short story, uh, make it short, it's very girls in the narrative. Like it's another Mm. major city where there seems to be no brown people except for when they're punchlines. Um, There was an Asian character who was just an awful stereotype. There are no brown people at all in the narrative whatsoever. Um, and it was just really offensive in like so many other ways. I've not actually seen it, but that's basically what she said. And Mm -hmm. she went up to her afterwards and was like, Hey, did you make an effort to try and get different voices? If you guys go to the IMDb page for this show, I mean, it is literally whiter than Christmas. There's nobody black or brown in this. And this is something that YouTube and Sundance are prominently showcasing with uh, YouTube creators of color because there was other people like uh, Smoothie um, Freak uh, was there and all these other different uh, creators of color and so she's sitting there like is this what y'all are showing us for real like this is what y'all are like demonstrating to us and they kind of got in a heated exchange where she basically said it's really hard to find intersectional voices to which I'm like bitch please you need the University of Google or I don't know a rock because they're everywhere like it's it is a it is ignorance, it is a lack of perspective, and it is the fact that there's this little small segment of your world, and if somebody isn't in that, you don't know how to open the door outside of it, which is something that black people and brown people have been having to do their whole life, and you have no experience with it. And the girl got really hot and really heated because obviously it was her night to shine and she didn't like somebody calling her out on it. 
And Jessica Lee put up this great Snapchat where she was just like, I'm not giving you your fucking cookies because you tried. And I'm definitely not even going to give you your cookies if you accomplish it. Like, you're being a good person. You're being a normal person. You're basically saying, you know what? I'm not going to be a jerk and I'm going to pay people a decent wage. Here, give me some rewards because I I did it. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and that is another thing that we haven't talked about, which we kind of touched on earlier, which is this idea that like, you give me my cookies for being a good person. Like, Ooh, I hired a black person. Yay me. Right. Fish, please. You know what? You exactly. don't get cookies for that. You don't get to no. win a little prize of here. You're a good person. I have to be a good person every day of the week and twice on Sunday. And nobody gives me any cookies about it and you don't get any either. Um, but yeah, it was just an awful exchange. And it goes back to what I told you guys earlier about Sundance. Sundance, the festival, is actually been ahead of all film festivals, if you look at their history, about black and brown voices and making sure they have filmmakers of color at their event and prominently feature and focused on them. The problem was always that, that people would go to Sundance and they would have this big to-do, and then outside of Sundance, the Hollywood machine was like, yeah, but we ain't buying your movie. We don't give a damn. You know what I mean? So these independent films wouldn't go anywhere. They wouldn't get sold. They wouldn't get prominently featured, right? Um, and now they are like, I was just saying Mudbound actually sold for 2.5 million. And I think that to this moment was the biggest check of Sundance. And the best part about it is it went to a, a streaming service. Like it went to, I believe Netflix or Amazon, one of those two, I think it was Netflix, Mm -hmm. but so now it's going to get to a wide audience. So you don't have to worry about it having to make a ton of money in the box office. Like you do, if it goes to a Fox or a, what's the other one like the wine the weinstein company but Mm -hmm. yeah i mean so she threw a fit on snapchat and then uh the obviously people drug that bitch uh very appropriately (laughs) and jill too although i know her exchange with her was less but it was still of that defense of like oh well we tried like you i don't care if you tried i really don't i don't care if you tried (laughs) there is no try like i don't care like this ain't yoda said it there is no try yeah yeah i mean so but they really want their cookies for that for trying Mm -hmm. (laughs) here's your intersectional try award no No. (laughs) big brother almighty said you do or you don't you Mm. will or you won't exactly what was the girl that said intersectionalism that you retweeted the other day or intersectionalism? i found out that that's a troll are yeah. you serious? Feminista Good. Jones told me she's uh, a professional troll. That it might not even be a girl. Like it might be a dude trolling people. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. That makes me feel a little bit better because I was like, did she just make up a word? Yeah. <laughs> somewhere I read somewhere there's like five hundred thousand hate bots across yeah. the internet. Yeah. So I'm I'm really being more. Uh, disciplined in how I interact with people on Twitter now because it's especially now in the Trumpocalypse like there's just probably a lot more (laughs) hate bots uh, just trying to rile people up and uh, just got to be careful about that so yeah that was a troll. How can you tell if you have one though because I get these weird people too where I'm like did you read something I did like I don't know how you came and found me again somebody found me like two weeks later to yell at me I'm like this has got to be a robot (laughs) (laughs) Usually you can find, I didn't realize it until I looked at their timeline. Well, somebody pointed it out to me and then I looked at their timeline and and I was like, oh yeah. Like if they just go to other people's timelines and just say negative shit to them all the time, then yeah, they're a troll. Uh, Yeah. 
But I mean a bot. Like, how can you tell a bot? Like, is there like oh, a they're way? they're a troll or they're Michael Rappaport. <laughs> Girl. That's redundant, Karan. I mean. <laughs> Any um, final words before we wrap up about um, intersectionality? Any words of advice for women out there that just need to do better? Don't be defensive. <laughs> Yeah, don't be defensive. Yeah. Don't center I mean, yourself. It's not about you. Right? If you want you to know. be an ally, if you want to help out, you're going to do something wrong. We all do something wrong. It's a learning experience. But if somebody calls you on doing something wrong, how you respond to that is going to determine the kind of ally, quote unquote, that you're going to be. So right. just consider that. Consider that for a minute. Take a deep breath. Hold it in. Holding whatever you're going to, you first thought to say, you second thought to say, you third thought to say. Just be quiet for a little while and listen. Listen, really listen. Don't just wait until you can talk again. Listen. Mm, girl. And that's it. Well, you know, the old folk used to say a couple things. Hard head makes for a soft behind. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if you shut up long enough, you might learn something. And I, I listen is the key word here. Mm. We don't listen to each other. Uh, we we're quick to discount other people's experiences. Um, and I think that's a shame because it is the collective of those experiences that make us better people as a whole. And when we ignore that, when we ignore someone's contribution or their potential contribution because of a judgment we have about where they came from or how they live or even who they are, we're the ones who miss out. So I would really like for people, I want white women to stop telling black women that they're overreacting. I want you to stop telling us that our voices don't matter. I want you to stop telling us that you're trying to overtalk us because it happens all the time. You're you're not going to win this fight. I'm bigger, badder, louder, and finer. You're not going (laughs) to win this fight. So, Instead, when you hear something that makes you uncomfortable, that's your signal to shut the fuck up. It's actually a good Take thing it. to be uncomfortable. It's like a place where it you is. need to exactly. be. And you yeah. grow from that. You learn, yeah. you grow. I My advice is check your privilege. Mm-hmm. You no. Know? And I mean, I check my own privilege. Like I have privilege as a cis woman. I have privilege as a able-bodied woman. I have privilege. You know, there was a conversation I saw on Twitter uh, with this woman that has a disability and she was upset that the Luke Cage TV series featured Misty Knight without her disability. Mm-hmm. And at first I was yeah. feeling some type of way about that. I'm like, don't be putting down Simone Mystic like that, you know? <laughs> but then I was like, you know what? She has a valid criticism. Like, That's like she whitewashing. wanted the actress. Yeah. She wanted the actress to be played by a disabled actress and that's a valid criticism to have so i had to check myself for that moment there and thinking that so yeah you know just as we are marginalized people ourselves we need to also check our privilege and and that goes the same for everyone else so that's my words of advice for those folks out there when it comes to intersectionality and you know what jamie you bring up a a good point because we rarely talk about the disabled. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm disabled, but I don't look disabled. Right. And 
we we never bring it up. Mm-hmm. If you're not someone who's in a wheelchair or have, uh, uh, if you're not an amputee or if you don't have a physical sign of your disability does not mean that you're not disabled mm-hmm. and it does not mean that you are not able or capable, but we rarely discuss ableism and disabilities. Yeah. I would All just, right. yeah, I would just add to that. I think we, we talked a lot about a celebrities in this because we know they get their voice and I don't think celebrities shouldn't be a part of the conversation, but somebody who I actually want to applaud in this, not saying everything she does is great, but this quote was great. Um, Anna Kendrick did a speech a few years ago where she got an award for being a voice in feminism. And she said, you know, I would like y'all to stop coming to me for my quote unquote expert opinion about feminism and intersectionality. She was like, if you want to learn about intersectional feminism, read Roxane Gay. Don't ask me what I know. Okay. <laughs> like, and I thought that was the best thing that you could actually say about that because she's using her voice as a celebrity to cause people to question things and to bring light to things. But more importantly, she's admitting that she should not be the Supreme voice in the answers. And I think that says a lot right there. Like, Salma Hayek does not need to be the supreme voice explaining to us what we need and need to do. And, you know, on both sides of that, whether you're good, bad or indifferent, we need to to point out people that have been living and writing and documenting this scholars, uh, anthropologists, you know, people that have been been dealing with for a long time and look to them for some truth. If you want to find somebody to educate you on something, don't be going to your old girl's Instagram for inspiration, (laughs) you know. Um, so that's mine. I agree. Um, I have three things. So um, allow allow black women, women of color, black women especially, allow us our anger um, without getting defensive, without feeling the need to represent yourself as one of the good ones, without needing to say anything sometimes. A lot of times I, we're not talking to you. A lot of times I I may say white people without like as a colloquialism in general, I, when I'm talking about just white nonsense in general and I get the not all white people or the, the, the people who feel the need to separate themselves and let me know that this is not representative of all white women and we need to know that there's some of the good ones just allow us our anger without interrupting um also allow women of color allow black women their spaces understand that some things aren't for you if you don't understand it chances are it is not for you to understand and you don't have the right to demand that we explain it to you Oh, guys, I'm sorry. I have to stop y'all. Brie Larson just tweeted out Valerie Complex's piece on intersectionality, y'all. Mm. Like, yeah. for real. This Valerie, shit serious. Valerie told me that she was going to do that. So that's awesome that she Dude, followed through. That's dope. Sorry, I just saw that and I was like, damn, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Um, Go ahead, Tori. But yeah, um, understand that, you know, basically this shit is for us sometimes and it's not for you and you can deal like you'll have to deal sometimes um and finally check the way that you're reacting to things recently um i've noticed that a lot of people that are dealing with the trumpocalypse as jamie so (laughs) eloquently put it 
are saying things like, this is the first time I've been ashamed of my country while the rest of us are sitting here like, um, we've been knowing that they don't give a fuck about us. Like, we've been knowing that that shit ain't sweet. Like, we've been knowing, and more importantly, we've been telling you, and you haven't been listening. Right. Um, so when... So when you're reacting to, th- to, th- to this in such a way, it's kind of damaging. It's, it's traumatizing almost to keep reading white women reacting to, to each new story uh, surprised almost that our country doesn't care about our rights. You know, just check the way that you're reacting to things like, oh, my God. Now, now, now is the time. For the first time, they don't care about our rights. For the first time ever, America doesn't care about people's rights. And it's, wow, really? For the first time? For real? (laughs) So, that's all. They must be so scared. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) That just reminds me of something that um, pissed me off during during the march and after the march, because a lot of people you know, kept bringing up that statistic of, you know, women who voted for Trump and then how this is their fault. And then women who voted third party and how this is their fault too. Also men who voted third party. And they just kept getting more and more defensive. And I just like, if you voted third party, this is your fault. Because you could have, yes, you didn't like both candidates, but you could have compromised People of color have been compromising since we had the ability to vote. Mm-hmm. We've always comp- compromised. We've always done that. You can do it too for the sake of the country, but you had to be self-centered. You had to be self-centered and do what you wanted and you never thought about the rest of us. And now it's come back to smack you in the face and you want us to save you? Oh, mm-mm. Oh, it's frustrating. <laughs> Very well said. Thank you. Well, thank you ladies so much for doing this show. This was an incredibly important discussion and I hope everybody listening got some great takeaways. So thank you to Mel, Karan, Jacqueline, Tora, and we will see you next time. When a disillusioned Unigrad and his jaded army vet discover they have superhuman abilities and begin to use their powers for evil acts, a young rogue detective decides to go on the hunt for a new superhuman who may or may not be sympathetic to his cause. This is the plotline for The Few, starring Sam Benjamin, Kyla Fry, and Vincent Jerome. We bring Sam Benjamin back to discuss the release date of The Few that just dropped on February 2nd. The new sci-fi fiction thriller genre show is all the rage in the UK and hopefully across the world. Take a listen. Welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Karan, and today we have the return of one of our favorite guests, Mr. Sam Benjamin, one of the creators of The Few, the UK's first superhero series, which debuts this coming week. Sam, welcome back. Oh, thanks very much. Pleasure to be back. So now is the time you've put a lot of work into the few tell us a little bit about what this journey has been like for you it's been really great so 
yeah, for those who didn't hear the last one or haven't heard <laughs> the two other stars of the few, Vincent Jerome and Carla Fry, on previous Black Girl Nerds episodes, um, yeah, we've created the few. Uh, it's an online uh, British sci-fi series that's in the super-powered world. Um, and yeah, we I think it was originally kind of came about midway through last year in the brains of myself and Sam Bradford. And we have since uh, wrote it, kind of pre-produced it, filmed it, post-produced it. And yeah, and now we're releasing it this Thursday, um, 9 p.m. UK time. So you'll have to translate that for the Americans uh, and all the, all the Canadians as well and everyone else in the world. Um but yeah, so it's going to come live this Thursday, the second. And yeah, it's been great. Um, basically, it's been really, uh, it's been a dream come true, really. It's been a, one of the hardest things I've ever done. But also, you know, it's that amazing thing of, which I'm sure a lot of people listening and a lot of people on the Black Girl Nerds team will know is that when you just put the work in with something you're passionate about and believe in, and you just want to share it with the with the world um it seems that really good things happen and yeah people get behind you now you you and i know you and sam bradford have worked together before what about what is your mm-hmm. relationship like with the other uh, actors in the few uh yeah well a lot of the um i actually thought about this <laughs> earlier today because i noticed when i was watching the our some of our credit sequences for the few that um we haven't actually got a casting director credited and it's largely because i basically cast it myself uh-huh. uh through people that i have built up a relationship with or worked with in the years i've been a professional actor in the game so yeah i mean some of the cast were kind of actors that I've been aware of from the TV work or film work that they've been doing. And I've thought, oh, okay, you've played this role, but I think you'd be great at this role. Um, and then there's a few other actors such as Kyla and Vincent, who I'm really, really good friends with and, you know, are, you know, regularly geek out over superhero <laughs> TV shows and comic books. And... Um, and yeah so for that it's kind of like yeah it's just that amazing thing of like wow you get to work with your mates just doing you know what you want to do and what you've dreamed about doing and what we've been waiting for someone in the UK to make but yeah now yeah I mean it's Vincent Jerome especially in the comic book world you know he's one of my uh, main comic book uh, you know allies that we you know talk about what we're reading and things like that so um, just having that surreal thing of me playing a character that's facing off against him in a kind of, you know, not the same dynamic, but in a kind of, you know, Batman Joker, right. you know, or Superman Lex kind of, you know, arch, arch enemy thing was just, yeah, really surreal um, on set and really amazing. So why was it important? Well, first of all, when you when you look at the flu at the excuse me, when you look at the yeah. the few <laughs> when you're in the universe, you Oh yeah. The universe Hashtag the, Funiverse. Hashtag Funiverse. One of the first things you notice is how inclusive it is. You have yeah. a little bit of everybody represented here. Why was it important to make sure that inclusiveness was at the center of the few? Uh well the first thing is is that you know, the truth is we haven't been inclusive of everyone. There's always room, you know, for, for more representation, um, which is something that I definitely look at for, 
you know, uh, whatever comes next, second series or whatever incarnation the feud next takes. But yes, um, an inclusive or diverse cast um, is something that I always put at my at the center of my kind of creative work when I'm writing scripts, when I'm writing, you know, screenplays or whatever it might be. Um, and it's partly just you know we've spoke about this before but you know it's it's about writing the real world um, so like Very if you're setting so, a sh- yeah. if you're setting a show in london uh in the you you know uh, and and it's full of british characters then you know, it'd be a, a very strong decision to actively not make it diverse in terms of, you know, people's backgrounds and, and you know, colour or, you know, heritage because, you know, the UK is a melting pot. So, yeah, that and, and I think it is, you've also got a, you know, a lot of people I work with, um, a lot of the actors, for example, you know, they, you know, my friends talk to me about their frustrations about, you know, feeling like, oh, I never get seen for those roles or oh, there just isn't those roles around or, you know, whether it be, you know, a black female just being like, well, all I'm getting, all I'm getting brought in the room for is for the pregnant mother mm-hmm. on the estate mm-hmm. and or the, right. the kind of, you know, the, the gang chick who, you know, is addicted to crack or whatever it might be or, you know, all these other stupid, um, you know, stereotypes that just self-perpetuate when, you know, is in reality, um, you know, it's, it's not like that at all. So yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's a very important thing. And, um, yeah, it's just a case of why not do it? Why not do it? Cause yeah, it's, um, and the other thing as well, you know, as, and I, I've come to realize this, the more, the older I got is that, you know, you take it for granted as a, you know, everyone's got their kind of categories, you know, no matter what you're, you know, I'm, I'm a white male, which is one of the largest categories in terms of you know what roles are out there yes you're everywhere um, so you could, yeah exactly so you know white guy with dark hair you know i i had plenty when you're growing up you know i can flip out flip open a comic and be like you know i could be really specific about like i could even look you know i can look at you know i i, I could even be really well, i'm trying to think of the word here but you know here's me thinking oh you know, he's got blue eyes, but I've got brown eyes. So could I play that part or could that be me? Do you know what I mean? And then yeah. actually realize, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, let's be honest, all of them, like, you know, it doesn't matter if it be Tony Stark, Clark Kent, Bruce Wayne, you know, or Peter young, Parker. Young Bond. I go, think you would make yeah. a great young Bond. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, hear that I hear that they're <laughs> recasting that soon. Um, so you know, who knows? Um, but yeah, so you take it for granted. And when you, you know, as you get older, you realize, oh my God, like, you know, is that thing of, if you don't, you know, I was coming out of the cinema, you know, and I had a wealth of, you know, Tom Cruises and people like that, that I could be like, oh yeah, I can see myself there. So I think it is important, you know, if we, if the few means that one teenage lad or girl watches it and sees Kyla Fry or Vincent Jerome or whoever it is and goes, oh yeah, I can, I can A, be that heroic, B, play a role like that or see you know whatever it might be um then yeah we've done our job haven't we the tricky part about a web series is that the episodes are short and yeah it while i i love the few and the concept of the few i get mad <laughs> because i have to wait for the next episode to come it's yeah. really really yeah. good but yeah. what what made you decide to Oh, why do you think there hasn't been a British superhero? Why ha- why do you think there hasn't been a series that, that's come out of the UK? 
Oh, I've been asked that uh, many times. Um, and even <laughs> there's actually, <laughs> I did an interview on a, on a London channel that's coming out, I think, this week. And um, he basically straight up said, you know, he kind of insinuated that basically the reason why it hasn't happened is because it doesn't work. <laughs> Britain and superheroes. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, there's there's many reasons. I'm still I still can't believe it hasn't been done. Um, maybe because it's risky. Maybe because um, there's something about the British mentality. We are kind of I guess a bit more reserved and a mm-hmm. bit more kind of uh, less. I'm just trying to think of. I guess we are more. We kind of we take we kind of take the take the mick or like you know make fun of ourselves. We have this self kind of and sarcasm and all this kind of that kind of humor uh-huh. that we we kind of bring ourselves down in a way it's like a really self-deprecating odd, humor self-deprecating humor right. it's just a really odd thing and i think it, it kind of comes from uh the history of you know having a monarch and a, and a king and a queen that stands above us and we're just subjects and you know all that kind of thing that all goes into the mix so um and obviously we've we've got a good history of sci-fi it just tends to be more kitschy and more tongue-in-cheek more right. twinkle in the eye that kind of thing you know like the doctor who mm-hmm. or red dwarf and things like that so um yeah i don't know maybe i don't know maybe what do you think i don't know <laughs> you know I, um, I don't know because you there is such a rich a rich history of sci-fi in the uk there there's yeah. we've gotten so much um, I mean, look how long Doctor Doctor Who has been running. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. I don't even know how far how far back it goes, but um, it's yeah, I think been it was on the sixties, I think. Yeah, yeah, and um, we've gotten a lot, but but we've never seen a superhero series. So you answered that question. You you stepped in the gap for that. Yeah. What is the most exciting thing for you now that we've been talking about the few for at least six months now? Yeah. What is the yeah. most exciting thing now that it's here? You're on the eve of the release. Oh yeah. So what's what has you pumped the most right now? Um, I think just <laughs> are you uh, nervous? There is a few moments where you're like, uh oh, people are actually going to watch it now. <laughs> so uh, no, I, I'm just really excited for people to see it because you know we've been talking a good game, um, but we've been <laughs> we've partly been talking a good game because we know it's good. So. Like, I'm just really excited for people to see it. I just think people are going to... And the team we've had and the talent across the board in terms of even the effects. And, um, you know, we got a guy, Alex Wilson-Thame, who um, works for a, a this awesome uh, company in London called Jungle. And he's done this, like, awesome sound mix on it. And we've got, like, young directors, each directing each episode, alongside Sam Bradford as well. So I think I'm just excited to hear what people think of the characters, what people think of the story, how people react to it. And, you know, especially in the kind of, you know, sci-fi and uh, this kind of world of what people think it is. Because I know, you know, from being one myself, you know, in the comic book and sci-fi and superhero world, you know, the the fans are passionate and we say what we think. (laughs) And yes. we don't hold back. So I guess on some level you've got to be prepared for the for the for the you know, the best and the worst. But um yeah, I'm just excited for people to see it and, and just um yeah, just and, and enjoy it and hopefully they'll get a lot of hopefully it'll kind of, you know, it gives people like you say, it is um you know, it's a very the episodes are very short. Each episode is like four or five minutes. Um, which obviously in an ideal world we would have made it with, you know, a lot and you know 
I don't know, a 13 part one hour series like on Netflix. But yeah. we, we just did. We just didn't. You know, this was done on a, Are you on a tiny. Netflix? Are you listening, Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, we you know, we so we, we basically made this on what we had, which was not a lot. Um, we made a virtue of of not having really any money, so that's why we made it. And we'd rather make um, an exciting, you know, cliffhanger chapter-driven series rather than just doing like, oh, here's a 25-minute short that we don't know what to do with, um, you know, because a lot of things get made as a concept or like, hey, yeah. this is something, and then would you give us the money to make it for real? Whereas we were like, no, well, let's just make it for real, but let's just make it a mini-series, a super mini-series. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's that's the thing I'm most excited about, just for people to see it and to hear what people think and to also see how people, like, how people, what they get from it. Like, as you know, when when we watch it and you know when you talk to your friends about a film or something and people get I love it when you get like different interpretations uh-huh. or different themes or like oh yeah I saw it as this or um and also wonder what people predict uh will happen as well as they watch because as you say we are we are we've been very mean and there are cliffhangers in this one so <laughs> <laughs> has there been a downside what's what's been the has there been any difficult parts do you do you have you doubted yourself at all during the process i think i had uh, the most the most doubting bit was was kind of before we were filming it and and i guess during we were filming it which was that kind of thing of are we really going to do this and i guess my my worry at the beginning when we were coming up with the concept myself and sam bradford and writing the script was that i've always been i was i was kind of i have a voice that was reluctant to enter this kind of environment because it'd be Uh one thing to to make an online series that you know was a kitchen sink gritty relationship drama Mm -hmm. you know we that's that's much more filmable um in terms of budget and in terms of making it you know you can make a you can make a good you know two-hander you know drama about a household look really good on a on, on a budget whereas as soon as you're stepping into the sci-fi world you, you you kind of you're stepping up against the dcs and the marvels and the cw and and netflix so it has to it has to be of a certain standard so that was my worry that we that we wouldn't reach that standard but once i kind of you know knew who we were going to get and knew what Sam Bradford and you know his fellow people at Praxima uh, could do. Then I was like, now nah, we're just gonna have to jump for it. And I, actually, the biggest worry was just before because the last two episodes are like a two-parter. Okay. Um, kind of, which is a nod to um, Batman '66 when they always used to do the episodes in twos. Um, and I guess I was worried the most just before filming those two because we had to film them in one day together. Uh-huh. And it was me and Vincent Jerome, and we basically, Sam Bradford, because I'd written this kind of showdown, and then Sam Bradford had read it, and he basically was like, nah, this needs to be more epic. (laughs) I was really scared. (laughs) I was scared to make it more epic, because I knew that more epic means more choreography, more work, more things that can go wrong, more possibilities that it could look silly, or, you know, all those kind of things, especially because we're not doing we're not doing a Deadpool here. We're not, you know, that's not, that's not saying Deadpool isn't great. Deadpool is amazing and made gorgeously and it's a great film, but I'm just saying we, if you're doing a parody, you can get away with certain things a bit more. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're going down the straight serious route, yeah, you kind of have to make sure all the, everything is, is, you know, 
is all top notch. So yeah, but now nah, once once we got going, I think and now that I'm see, I've obviously seen um, seen what we've got. I'm like yes. So <laughs> yeah, I'm really uh, I'm really excited for people to uh, to tune in, and I'm also really grateful by the way to uh, Black Girl Nerds and um, all the support and the passion you've had for it because you've really inspired us along the way. Oh. Well, we, we support good work and uh, and we appreciate your support as well. Is there going to be a viewing party? Are you guys going to have a party to celebrate this? Because I wish I could be there, but I want to know where the party's <laughs> at because I might stop yeah. through. We're actually, we're just in the middle of uh, of kind of working out the details of venue and screening and stuff. We're hopefully going to do a screening in London. Um, but if anyone listening wants to do one in, you know, in across the pond <laughs> then, um, <laughs> if anyone wants to provide a space and you know uh, a red carpet then you know we'll happily listen to that um but yeah at the moment uh we're hoping to do a screening at some point in london uh in the month of feb um but we shall see the main focus has been uh has been the actual kind of online release um and just getting it to people worldwide i think that's been our main focus but yeah hopefully we'll have a little red carpet shindig to celebrate so you know we've got universal fan con coming up in 2018 in baltimore i'm hoping you and the crew will be there well so am i do you know what i actually thought i was looking at it and for some reason like because when i first saw it uh you know ages ago when you when you did the the funding thing for it um and congrats by the way thank you uh, I, I, for some reason, I just assumed it was this year. So I was like, oh, April. Wow. Like, this is going to be big. And then I was like, oh, it's 2018. Well, that just gives you even more time to, to, to like, to make it awesome. To get your and make sure you get here. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I definitely don't want to miss it. Definitely do not want to miss it. I'm really, um, yeah, I'm really excited. And I think you guys are, yeah, you're just becoming an unstoppable an unstoppable force. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of like a sci-fi analogy, um, but I don't know. You're you're like the the Doctor Manhattan of podcasts. You're just unstoppable. Wow. It's it's really incredible because because Jamie, our, our managing editor, um, is is putting this together in partnership, and um, it's really wonderful to be able to see it develop and and the idea that this is really the first inclusive con. Um, yeah. that we've seen um i'm glad it's in 2018 because i have time to prepare and it's in my hometown of yeah. baltimore so i'm really pumped for that i'm gonna show yeah. y'all how to really do this thing um, oh okay <laughs> okay i'm super excited but with the few um what are your hopes for the outcome of the few where do you go from here before we get to that, can I just also uh, mention two people that you got to get for Universal Fan Con Absolutely. as well? Outside of the few, because they're, they're good friends of mine and they, they should be there, is um, uh, Jimmy Akimbala, uh -huh. uh, a.k.a. the Baron from Arrow, and also Dominique Tipper, who's in The Expanse. Duly noted. Know those, yeah. And if you're not, if you guys don't know their work then check it out because they're yeah they're two awesome british actors uh that are like flying flying the british flag flying the the diverse flag and just smashing it in the sci-fi world so yeah they'd be really cool people to get to get there um so the question was what what was the out what outcome do i want from the yes. few and what's next uh i mean it's a million dollar question uh, I, I just, I think the main thing is, 
I'd like in some form to be able to continue the few on a on a on a massive scale uh-huh. uh, whether that be as a as its own tv series as a as a mini series as a you know whatever it might be but just one with a with a full uh you know full someone someone big behind us that can make us you know dream the world even bigger mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it'd be the it'd be the one um we have had we have had some a couple of there's a couple of very big um networks shall we say that have been sniffing around a little bit and uh, have had a little sneak peek um so with a bit of luck one of those might um you know show a bit of interest but let's see let's see i mean who knows because then i always think like yeah i mean you never know what's going to happen do you in in today's world when you know when we have the blessing of having these online outlets like youtube like facebook like soundcloud or whatever it might be you know is that thing of you know it's so much more democratic than it used to be yeah so there really is you know any any possibility really isn't it amazing, though, that uh, the way we watch television and entertainment, the way we consume it, has changed so much because of the Internet. You guys were able to put this together and to uh, produce it yourselves, to write it yourselves, and to put it out yourselves. What do you well, think exactly. about the way, that, the way that entertainment is being consumed now? Obviously, and sometimes I think about this as an actor. You know, if I was an actor emerging 40 years ago, I'd be much more at the mercy of the gatekeepers mm-hmm. in terms of the casting directors or the directors or the channels or whatever it might be. And so I think, even though it's kind of scary sometimes because you think, oh my God, how much content is out there? Right. Um, I was looking at some crazy stats yesterday when I was. Uh, doing some of you know fixing up some of the youtube channel of the few mm-hmm. and it was like oh my god the amount of videos that are released like every minute of every day wow um it's just it's just crazy i can't even remember the number but it's it's a lot and but yeah at the end of the day it does it it does give more of a um a meritocracy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh it makes it more of a meritocracy i think because um you get to showcase your work without waiting for permission the downside of that of course is that you sometimes there's a case of more is expected of you mm-hmm. you know if if you're if you're make if you've got a concept for a tv show for example and you've written a script you take it in the room to someone but if the next person has got the script but has also filmed te- a 10 minute teaser of what it's going to be like then they're a step ahead. So you kind of have to up your game as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, in terms of, yeah, you're right. We've basically done, I mean, even like what, 20, it was 20 years ago, 97. Like if you think about what we would have had to have done to get yeah. to this stage, to have a, a series that is being released Thursday, the 2nd of Feb worldwide. to a worldwide audience. Yes. Like that, I mean, you'd have to, how many deals would you have had to have made with how many networks, with how many territories, um, through how many agents to get that done? Um, it just would have been, and, and even like, and then the budget you would have had to have to promote it for the posters on the, at the bus stops or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just, it just would be absolutely crazy. Um, so obviously there is a crowded marketplace, but you just got to put it out there and, make yourself stand out um but yeah i'm very grateful and in, in a way you know a couple of years ago i nearly had a uh, a pilot for a tv series made which is kind of like a crime fighter series uh-huh. 
and uh, it kind of nearly got, kind of nearly made a deal, but the deal wasn't. I could tell the deal wasn't really right. So this is that kind of informed the few of like, well, now nah, let's just make it. Let's just make it. Yeah. Let's just stop the foreplay and get down to it. I'm so excited for you, but I do have something to ask of you. Oh, here okay. we go. So this is my concept. Okay. I want to be the journalist in the television talking about y'all fighting and oh. changing the world. <laughs> oh. So when the few goes to series or to the movie, I want to be I want to be the journalist in the TV. Oh, <laughs> oh! There's some kind. I'm, I'm visualizing like a, a Dark Knight Returns kind of news report. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's and my, what that's would you my be, little what's, bit. What's, what um, would it be? Would you be reporting? Who would you be reporting for? Um, I would be reporting for BGN Network. Oh yes, <laughs> love it, love it for the BGN Network. Absolutely, I love that. I love that. I can see it. I love that concept. You know, I'm serious, oh, that'd be right? Great. <laughs> yeah, I totally know you're serious. <laughs> totally know you're serious. Um, and you'd be reporting from uh, where would you be reporting from? From from your hometown? From the UK. From oh, from the UK. Oh no, I thought because because the news would break to America. I thought you were going for like when it when it spreads. Hey, it could be world news. I'm down with that. It could be world news. I think yeah. you do. Oh, well, we'll, have to, we'll definitely have to keep you in mind for that. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Sam, I'm so happy for you guys. This has really been an incredible journey. And it's this is just the beginning. It's not coming to an end. This is just the beginning for you. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, it's really exciting. Actually, while, while we're here, what I was going to ask you, because it's been a little while, what do you think of um, what is your current kind of aside from the few what's your what other thing are you most excited about in the sci-fi world at the moment oh what am i most excited about in this you know i'm i'm most excited about the indie projects like this one okay yeah I, i'm really i'm really super excited about what's being created that's not getting greenlit in hollywood <laughs> yeah. you know because yeah. this this is where we're finding the real grit this is where we're finding the true storytellers and i think that is going to lead the way to so much, so much more inclusion and diversity in what we see. I think it's going to lead the way to different kinds of creativity. I just really appreciate what's being ha what's happening in independent film when it comes to sci-fi and when it comes yeah. to books as well. I mean, we're yeah. seeing a lot of our treasures um, that are being developed or optioned for films um, that a lot of people don't know about. So okay. I'm really excited about these indie projects that are coming up because they are really groundbreaking. This is really groundbreaking. And, and it's, it's mostly incredible because it is self-contained. This is something you didn't have to wait for someone to green light. This is, yeah. you know, straight from your mind to the camera. So um, that's, I'm really excited about because most of what we see in, in, in mainstream is, much of the same. We see the yeah. same stories over and over. We see the same tropes over and over. We see the same stereotypes. We see the same kinds of action. But, you know, I'm interested in what the little boy in the corner who has, you know, in school that had his notepad, you know, always yeah. drawn in his notepad. And his, I'm interested in his imagination now that he's an adult and can bring that to fruition. So I'm really excited about the indie scene. I think it's really going to be a remarkable year. Oh, yeah. I love that. I love that. Nice bit of positivity as well for 2017. Absolutely. Look, we need all we can get. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, I was thinking actually as well, I'd also be interested to see what when I was talking about themes is um, 
to see what people get from the few in terms of um, the themes of kind of, because we have got in there kind of, you know, powerlessness and disillusionment uh-huh. with the people who are running the running running the place uh which could be interpreted well yeah which could be interpreted you know in in different ways depending on where you're coming from as well so um yeah i'd be interested to see which characters the audience sides with most in the few yeah because what what we've tried to do is kind of make it not too black and white, but to make it gray uh-huh. in terms of, you know, where things are, where things lie. So, yeah, I guess that would be my I'm really interested uh, for that. Well, you know, the truth usually lies in the gray areas. Well, exactly. Exactly. And yeah, the best. Those are the those are the, just the fascinating characters, aren't they? That you just keep coming back to the ones where you're like, oh, like, why are you doing that? Because you I, you believe that, which is kind of cool, which is kind of <laughs> right. But that method of doing it is terrible. Or, you know, or somebody that might whose mythology might look logical and, you know, sane and, and you know, desirable. But, but deep down, it actually comes from a place of, oh, yeah, it's going to be I'm excited. I'm excited for you. Any final words before we let you go? Um, no, I just want to say uh, again, thank you to everyone at Black Girl Nerds and everyone who has shown support uh, listening to myself or Carla Fry or Vincent Jerome. We, you've literally, you really have like, you guys have been one of the biggest supporters of us. And it's going to be interesting because we've kind of, we've had more, I've mentioned this before, but so far we've kind of been getting more support from the US than from some of our own people. Um, so it's been, in t- especially in terms of, you know, up top with kind of channels and things. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, this is just early days. But yeah, so I just want to say thank you to everyone. Um, I didn't expect you guys to, you know, <laughs> inspire us so much, especially because you were inspiring us whilst we were filming it as well, when you got wind of it. Yep. And it really did make, <laughs> it really did, it really did play a part. Um, and like, uh, you know, and what was, oh yeah. And then the other obvious thing is to say is now that it's coming out this Thursday, 2nd of Feb, um, please go onto our YouTube channel um, and subscribe so that you get it as soon as it's released. Uh, maybe you can translate. So it's going to be coming out 9 p.m. in the UK. Okay. So you guys are going to get it. Uh, like, is it, so it'd be 1 p.m. on the California coast. Uh-huh. And then, so what time am I to make it over with you guys? Will it be... Yeah, I'm on the East Coast, so we're three hours ahead of California. So it should be 1, 1 p.m. West Coast and 4 p.m. East Coast. Yeah, that sounds about right. That, that sounds about right, uh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds right, yeah. So, you, yeah you know so... I don't do road math, but yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right, yeah. So, yeah, so please, um, if you go to my Twitter or if you type in at the few series, you'll get to the page and you'll be able to find the YouTube from that or just type, you know, Google us in YouTube or go to our trailer. Um, give us a follow and, yeah, and then be ready for Thursday when it drops. Hashtag when Funiverse. We, hashtag Funiverse when we uh, rattle the cages. I'm so excited. Sam, thank you so much for coming back through. Thank you. Thanks for having me back on. Kim Whitley is a comedian and actress, best known for her roles in TV sitcoms such as Animal Practice, The Boondocks, Young and Hungry, and The Parkers. 
Whitley was nominated in 2004 for a BET Comedy Award for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Box Office Role as Ormandy in the 2003 comedy film Deliver Us from Eva. Currently, you can find her in the new film called Fist Fight. Fist Fight is an upcoming comedy film that stars Ice Cube, Charlie Day, Christina Hendricks, Dennis Habert, and Tracy Morgan. It's a loose remake of the 1987 teen comedy film Three O'Clock High and will release in theaters nationwide on February 17th. Hi, I'm doing great. Hi. <laughs> it's so great to talk to you. I'm Tora Shea with Black Girl Nerds. Oh, hey, Tora Shea. Is that your real name? <laughs> that is my real name. Like, it's my I nickname. Like <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going to tell you, I like that little name. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm Tora Shea with Black Girl Nerds, and we have the amazing Kim Whitley with us. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I want to thank you. What's up, Tora? <laughs> <laughs> that little laugh is killing me. Oh, my goodness. This is my real, actual laugh. I know it's, it gets obnoxious after a while, so bear with me. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of cute, so I'm going to start laughing like that today. <laughs> <laughs> My aunt Edna would for my aunt Edna would for real start making fun of me after a while. She would do it just like that too. <laughs> you tell your aunt Edna she can't laugh at anybody with the name Edna. You tell her to be quiet. I'm sorry. I'm focused. No, that's. I'm not even. I couldn't. I can't even say that. I couldn't even say that to her. <laughs> yeah, don't so. Say that. So um, Kim is going to talk to us about her character in the upcoming movie Fist Fight. I saw the trailer for it and was so excited, especially when I saw her character. Um, I let out the longest yes when I saw her character come on the screen. So I'm so excited to talk to you about this. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I have been the biggest fan of you and your work um, for so long. So to see you still, to see you shining is just amazing. So tell us about the movie. Tell us about your character. If you don't mind that, share with us. Well, well, Fist Fight is definitely a hilarious movie. If you want, you know, like you don't have to think about it. You don't have to get all into a plot and try to figure stuff out. And you just want to laugh. You got to go see this movie. Funny from top to bottom. All the cast is funny. Just the fact two teachers fighting, not the kids. Oh, it's hilarious. And that's what the whole movie is about. And all the people that come in and try to stop the fight, et cetera. I play the 911 operator, uh, which Charlie Day's character calls because uh, he needs help. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you. I won't give it away. But pretty much I think it's pretty funny uh, what I say to him. I guess you, you see it kind of in the trailer, don't you? That's right. it is you see a little bit of it in the trailer. You do see and... a little bit of the trailer. That's right. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So pretty much I'm laughing at them. You know, two teachers fighting, you can't be real. So, you know, just a lot of fun. Got a little cameo. And uh, I got to work with some amazing people. Yeah, I I died. I I saw the cast. Um, some of the cast. There were 
Ice Cube, Tracy Morgan, Charlie Day. I was just, when I saw it, I, I thought to myself, what was that like when all of those personalities of those comedians got together? Absolutely was... funny. <laughs> funny, oh. funny. All different kind of comedy. That's what made it good. Different types of comedy. I'm excited to see that. Well, so, please do. Opening weekend. I want everybody to go. Oh, I'll be out there. Don't. You don't have to worry about that. Um, anything that we're in, anything that has that type of comedy, especially in these times, we need <laughs> we need breaks. Yes, we need some laughter. We do. That is some real laughter, absolutely. So you have had such an amazing, long, steady career as a comedy actress, a comedian, a voice actress in so many of our favorite shows. How have you managed it? Give us give us the secrets. Give us your secrets. Oh, well, you know, um, I put God first. Um, but uh, I think kindness, I, I, I believe you you get what you put out. And as long as I'm kind to others, uh, I get it back. My career has been blessed and it's been long. And creating myself, not waiting for the phone to ring, um, ringing the phone myself. Um, you know, you got to say thank you a lot. Every time somebody gives you a job, you send a card or you send – flowers, you send a gift, you say, thank you. Thank you for considering me. Thank you for putting me in your movie. Thank you. And um, people remember that. Um, that That's it. I, I believe that you just say, this is what I want to do. You put some hard work in it. You, you become creative because no one's going to hand you anything. You know, you have to constantly create. You have to, just like this movie. I had to go out and audition for this movie. Usually, lately, you know, I'm usually handed a part. And uh, Richie didn't know me, the director, and he said, I want to see her. Well, then I went in to get the part. So you have to work at what you want to do, and you have to put your ego aside. You have to say, you know what, humble myself because this is what I love to do. Yeah, that's amazing advice. Thank you for that. What, if any, challenges would you say that you faced as a black woman who excels so well as a comedian, as a voice actress? Well, I would say the challenges, uh, when you say as a black woman in, in this industry, I mean, as you come up with, as any woman, I believe that climbs in her industry, it's a lot, a hard time is dating. Um, but that's a big thing as you climb the ladder. Um, men think you're strong and think you're in a certain kind of way. Um, so that's a, a challenge. Um, always, there's always fighting for the job, you know, whether it's for a Caucasian part or a Latino part, you know, we are in the game, but sometimes if it's not for a black woman, they won't see you for the part. Um, so sometimes you have to have them think outside the box. Uh, and it's gotten better, of course, but, um, we need more things written about us, more stories told about us, and uh, that would make it, you know, better for the actress. Completely agree. Which of your characters has been your favorite, or which? I mean, I, I, I would assume they're all kind of like your babies, but which do you hold most dear to your heart? This is a question. Of course, my first movie with Ice Cube <laughs> next Friday. I love Sugar. <laughs> but I've done a part no one really knows about. That was my favorite thing to do. And it was on the Wayans Brothers show. And I played this girl, Misery. And it was one of my favorite things to do because I was with the Wayans, Marlon. And he's so silly. 
And we ad-libbed, we got in fun. I got to play this other girl who was kidnapping him, and I was a crazy fan. That's one of my favorite things I've done. And, you know, there's Curb Your Enthusiasm, where I got to play the prostitute, and it was improv. You know, there's a, the, the the show that I'm on now, um, Young and Hungry, where I get to play, like, Marla Gibbs, you know, the modern-day housekeeper. You know, so they're all very dear, but I would say the best role that I am playing to date is the role of a mother. So that has brought me much joy. And that's a, my real son and playing a real mother in an everyday <laughs> situation. <laughs> How do you manage that? How do you manage um, being a mother and then being such a dynamic you know, person when society demands so much from you? How do you? Well, I'm not going to lie. It's very difficult. I've just been picked up on the Tom Jordan Morning Show as one of the anchors. And um, it, I guess as we call them, DJ, VJ, anchor, spokes, whatever, you know, I'm on the radio. Uh, <laughs> and so I work at 2 a.m. in the morning, and then I got to be on set at 7. Where I feel the guilt is that I sometimes don't see my son. So, but I make sure the people that are taking care of him love him. And when I do have time, we go on trips and I put things, you know, I pour love into him and, and knowledge. But it is difficult when you're a single mother. It is one of the hardest jobs in the world. And I see why God intended for two parents. It is extremely difficult. But like right now, I was like, who's watching him? Oh, he's in school. I got to think about it because of, right. yesterday the stylist watched him. You know, my stylist, she watched him yesterday. The day before was my trainer. You know, these are people around me. You know, my makeup artist, like they're my family. But they're constantly helping me because they're not, oh, Kim got to run out. She's got to go do a show. You know, I'll pick them up from school. You know, so, and my village, you know, so they've become my village. It's always reaching out and asking people for help, really. And people are willing to help. So that, that's, that's the only way I, I, I can do it. There's no way. Because I want my son to have a good life. And I want him to see a woman working and, and hustling, because that's what my dad did. He was an architect. And, you know, it's like acting. He's going out and getting his job. We had a great life. We traveled the world. We did everything. But I, saw him, I didn't see my father much, but he took good care of us. And I don't regret it. Yeah. Well, you definitely are out here doing amazing things. And it definitely, it, I was raised by a single mother, so I know how much. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I see it. Um, and I didn't know that, you know, there was, I didn't even realize that there was a lack of anything because it seemed wow. like she had all of the hands. You know what I mean? I, it wasn't until I got older that I was like, when did she find hours to do all of these extra, yes. <laughs> extra things? Because Amazing. <laughs> well, my hat is off to you, mom. Mm -hmm. My hat Good is job. off to you. My hat is off to you because I, mm -hmm. you're out here doing all of this and being a mother so you're, you, you get all of the claps. So. Well, thank you so much. And please make sure you spread the word for everyone who wants to fight. <laughs> yes, I, I do appreciate my latest uh, project. I'm so excited to see it. Um, and if you could tell fans exactly the date that it airs and um, just give yeah. us a little bit more about okay. 
about it if you want to. Um, is there a scene in it that you think you're most excited for fans to see? If you, I mean, I know you don't want to spoil it, but is there a scene? Right. Oh my God, I, I don't want to. No, you don't understand. I don't want to say it, but I do want to say it. Make sure you go see this fight opening on February 17th. When I tell you there is a scene in there that people are going to scream, I thought it shocked me so bad and it was so well directed that I, I, I don't want to tell it. It was so funny. Because I hate when people tell me something and then I'm waiting on it and I was like, ah, wasn't that funny. <laughs> All I got to do is say, go see the movie. There's some scenes in there that you will crack up. And just fun. So, you know, make sure you go see this fight with Ice Cube and Charlie Day, Julian Bell, Tracy Morgan, Kim Whitley, uh, February 17th, please. All right. Thank you so much for this. And thank you. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Brodnax, M.R. Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Spotify. That was a HeadGum Podcast.